0: You're listening to Mental Work. I'm your host, Bronwyn, an early career psychologist based in Australia. And this is the podcast taking a closer look at the challenges faced by early career mental health professionals so they don't have to go it alone. Hi, mental workers. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sharing the episode with, I think you're a doctor, aren't you, Catherine? Um, yes. Yeah, Dr. Catherine Hart. I should have checked that beforehand, but there we go. And today I've actually got Catherine back on the podcast. She is a previous guest and we're going to be talking more explicitly today about sham contracting. What are the pitfalls? What's going on with it? Why it's happening and how you can actually help yourself as an early career mental health professional to avoid these pitfalls and better navigate this really important topic that that often seems to get swept under the carpet and just not really talked about. And Catherine, can you please remind the listeners who you are? Yes, thanks for having me on, Bronwyn. I
1: can't wait to get started with this, but I think it might ruffle a few feathers. Um, I am a clinical psychologist and a business owner, and this is a topic that I feel very passionately about, very close to my heart. So um, yeah, I really welcome the opportunity to talk a little bit more about this. Thank you.
0: No worries. My pleasure. And if it ruffles a few feathers, I mean, that means we're touching on something important, right? I think
1: it's really important, but I think it can also be a really sensitive issue, especially if you are employing people or you're contracting people. Um, it can be a bit a, a bit, bit, of a bitter pill to swallow this, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, if it encourages people to do a bit of self-reflection, I'm all for it, but I can hear like, yeah, it is a sensitive topic. And we'll try and navigate it. And I mean, like mm. for listeners with this podcast, it's like, I don't want to shy away from topics just because they're too complex because they are the topics that are affecting us every day. Like if we are employed in a contract that is actually a sham contract, and we're actually more of an employee, or we're not being paid the right amount, then that affects us every day. Um, And it can create a lot of stress that actually impacts us, but then flows on down to our clients. So I see this as really just building us up overall. Why do you think it's important, Catherine, to like make sure that early career psychs are aware of this? Well,
1: I think that's a really good point that you raise that this is this is people losing out on income. This is businesses taking advantage of employees, either knowingly or not. Um, but yeah, the whole the whole uh definition of, of this sham contracting is really when businesses are incorrectly treating their employees as contractors. Businesses are getting away with lowering their labor costs by not meeting their tax, their super um, obligations and ultimately denying workers their entitlements, So it's the clinicians who are losing out here and and it's people's livelihoods. So it's it's a big issue.
0: Yeah, and we're not, I mean, we're not explicitly saying like this is happening for every practice, right? Like there are some good people out there, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's just that, and I've seen it like, predominantly I've seen it with uh, my colleagues, people I've come into contact with who shared these stories with me. And I've also seen it on various Facebook groups and social media that people have come into contact with these shared contracts. So it's at least maybe like we don't really know the scope of it, but we know it definitely happens. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And, and look, I've worked for a very small private practice, family run private practice did this beautifully. And I've worked for, I won't name them, but they're a, they're a national wide company. Um, uh, basically running community health services who were appalling at this and had had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on their contracts with their contract lawyers and were still getting it wrong and really not able to comprehend why they were getting it wrong, even though we were having meeting after meeting with them trying to explain this. So it's, it's not necessarily that... Um, um, small businesses are doing this wrong and big big businesses are getting it right. It can be a a variety of different issues in different organizations. And yeah, it's not every every organization that's getting it wrong for sure.
0: But certainly we want to focus on those organizations that aren't getting it right because of the impact, like we said before. So maybe I can get from you, Catherine, uh, a few definitions. What is a contractor? What is an employee?
1: Oh, okay. Well, this this is and this is the whole the whole issue. So, <laughs> okay. So is, yeah. Firstly,
0: let me just clarify.
1: Give a bit of a disclaimer. I'm not in HR. I'm not a contract lawyer. I'm not giving anybody any legal advice. I just want to bring some of these issues to people's attention so they can look at it further. Absolutely. Um, and ultimately, if you did go to Fair Work or a lawyer, they're going to look at the totality of this working arrangement. They're not going to just pick one one part of it. Um, it, it depends on a multi, on multiple factors. So maybe it's easiest if we think about examples from our own working life or, or things we've heard of, and then we can start to figure out, well, does that look more like an employee? Does that look more like a contractor? Um, and just I think the discussion about, for me, it comes down to can you actually really be a contractor? Within, psych- within psychology, because I think it's pretty hard to do anyway, if you think about the kind of work we do.
0: Yeah, no, I agree.
1: Maybe we could take some examples of places we've worked or things we've heard about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, because there've been lots of things that I've been really uncomfortable about. So I totally agree with me, also not a lawyer, also not HR, mm-hmm. really just kind of get out Bring, some, bring a voice to kind of this issue that we're observing. And for me, the things that I've been in, in my workplaces, first I was employed in an organisation that had a contract for a government-based service and I was an employee. However, some of the issues that we're going to talk about with contractors, but also present even as an employee, such as when I left that organisation, I was advised not to tell clients that I was leaving and I certainly wasn't allowed to tell them where I was going or what I was doing. Gosh, that's such a shame for your clients. It is because I had established good relationships with a lot of my clients and they also had, I guess, attachment kind of difficulties. So to be not be able to tell my clients who say had really strong abandonment schemas or emotional deprivation, I think was not doing them was doing them a disservice, certainly. And so that's something that I encountered as employee Another position that I've held is at a hospital and I was employed as a casual and this isn't necessarily what they were supposed to do was according to an enterprise bargaining agreement was they were supposed to offer me part time work after six months and I worked there for about three, four years, uh, still doing casual work. And so, of course, I've got all the rights of a casual employee, which is similar to a contractor. Is do you know that?
1: Well, I don't know a huge amount about all the different um, ins and outs of different um, yeah. work types, but I certainly, I certainly know that that's the law, right? That they yeah. should be employing you after six months. Yeah and they get around it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And then the other experience I've had really has been, I've wanted to avoid contracting altogether. So I've seen employment positions for psychologists and I'm like, nah, I'm not having a bar of that. It seems really scary, really overwhelming. I don't want to get involved. I've heard too many horror stories of people being taken advantage of, and I just want to opt out of it, which I think is also unfortunate for employers who are kind of calling out for uh, psychologists to come on board. So that's really my experiences in a nutshell. I'm curious to hear about your experiences with contracting, Catherine. So now you're a practice owner, right? But beforehand, it sounds like you're in contracting positions. Is that right? Well, I was actually employed. Oh. um,
1: But no, sorry, I was... Which way around was it? I was, yeah, I was sorry. I was contracted, but um, really looking at the fair work standards, I I should have been classed as an employee. Okay. And what kind of told you that? So there's a, There's a couple of factors that um, fair work and ATO would look at, so it's things like uh, what's the degree of control that you have over the work that you perform? Mm. So, for example, if you perform the work under the direction under the control of your employer on an ongoing basis, you're an employee or you're you're more likely to be looked at viewed as an employee by fair work. Mm. I think for most of us, even if we are called a contractor, a subcontractor, most of us are controlled, if you like, told what to do by the employer. There are usually some set things that we have to do. um, there are some set hours that we have to work. Um, We usually have to do things in a certain way. So if that's the case, it's more likely that you're an employer, an employee.
0: Yeah. (laughs) under, Under this legislation. When you were looking at your tasks, and I guess your relationship with your employer, you were like, look, I'm actually like more of an employee than I am a contractor. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So they wanted me
1: to go to their training, their induction. They wanted me to do, you know, use their practice software, do do everything via their processes, procedures, which which means I'm an employee, really.
0: And how did that, how did you feel as a result of that? Like, You know, there must have been some feelings leading up to actually looking at the Fair Work stuff. Like, were you feeling confused or...? I spent about two years
1: in discussions with them about the contract. So it wasn't just me, it was a number of other allied health professionals as well, talking to them over a number of occasions about why this was not correct. Um, and it was like banging your head against a brick wall. No, we've had our lawyers look at the contracts. No, you know, th- th- they would say all sorts of things like this contract doesn't sub this is not supposed to take the place of a uh, you know an employee-employer relationship. You're a contractor, and they they just thought that if they wrote it enough times in the contract, then that must make it true. <laughs> and it was I was so frustrating. Um, and you you sort of end up feel like you're going a bit crazy because you're on the one hand. Going through fair work requirement, and you're seeing no, this is the stuff that's telling me I'm an employee, but actually they get they're getting it completely wrong. It's all mixed up.
0: Yeah. and so what was some of the advice that you received from Fair Work or was it simply reading the fair Work website like ATO and stuff? Well, they
1: had discussions with the
0: workplace,
1: they they came in, they had the discussions, and at the end of the day, um, I mean it was it was not a great outcome. It was uh-huh. certainly not the way we wanted it to go, but every, everybody left. I think ninety percent of the allied health professionals left. Wow! Because they 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 wouldn't give us contracts that were appropriate. And what was the ongoing impact of that on you? Like, so did you leave as well? Yeah, I left at the same time. Unfortunately, yeah. Well, it, it's things like you've mentioned. So they'd say, well, the clients belong to us. The client notes belong to us. So they've got those all archived somewhere. If there's a, a subpoena, if there's a request for notes, if there's you know an ongoing, you know, work with a lot of work cover TAC clients there's often requests for their notes. Um, I can't, I can't access those. Theoretically, the client would go directly to the organization and just get them. And now I might I might say this might have a detrimental impact on the client, for example, and I don't think they should be released. Or yes. I need to redact some of that information, or I need to go through and check what's what's well, I don't have any say in that. It's all it's all done externally and that's again that's not right
0: how does it feel for you when you think of that situation that a client like you know it might be for detrimental to actually release that information but you actually have no power and but it's awful isn't it it's awful
1: thinking that you I don't know what's going on I don't know who they're releasing notes to when they're releasing them I don't even get notified I had, the, I had the example where there was, a, there was actually a complaint made um, and it was something ridiculous about, um, you know, they weren't, they were, they charged the wrong amount or something really petty. But I didn't get to find out about it until it had already been escalated and a whole hoo-ha had been created because I was never told. It was straight to the organization and the organization were dealing with it. So again, it just feels really underhand and secretive and, and pretty yuck not knowing what's being done behind your back.
0: Well, I'm interested to know like the, the impact of you in the long term. So like I just, I wonder whether it kind of damaged your trust in like employers or made you more on edge or more wary.
1: I I would be really wary now going into an organisation. I would be, at least I'd know what to check for in my contract. Yeah. At least I'd yeah. know to be able to negotiate that straight off. Um, I, I understand the terminology better now and I understand the way that sometimes organizations will try and get around it so they'll say things like yeah this should not substitute uh this is not um, demonstrating an employee employer relationship for example or um you know you can subcontract your work out and with our uh with our consent and you think well really how many how many psychologists do you know that subcontract their workout it's not actually what happens who do the clients belong to who'd you know all of that stuff I'd know to look out for now because they're they're big red flags for me
0: yeah so you'd be able to I guess protect yourself more than before when you weren't aware and you became aware of the issues and I guess this relates to our early career psychologists because one of the things is like we often don't know. We often get out of our internship or we're during our internship, we go into a, a relationship with an employer and we hope that they have our best interests at heart. But we actually don't know like these potentially exploitative clauses or that we're being underpaid. And we often have nobody to compare our situations to a reality test. And so we're very vulnerable.
1: Absolutely. And it's, it's a really hard thing to understand and know about. And sometimes these organizations are not doing it maliciously. They also don't know. So when you go to them with information, they, they, they don't really know how to integrate that because they don't really know what they're doing wrong in the first place.
0: One of the main things that I see on the Facebook groups, for instance, is people questioning like, okay, I'm in a contractor, I'm getting paid just to see clients. So I do not get paid if I don't see clients, but I'm also doing so much work out of seeing Mm -hmm. clients at the requirement of the employer to do these notes and then kind of meet these administrative requirements. Is that an example of sham contracting? This is the bottom line
1: for people, I think. If you look at not what clinical hours you're being paid for, as in when your clients turn up, but if you look at actually how many hours are you at work, how many hours are you administrating your clients, da-da-da-da-da, and then you work out what you're being paid and you recognize that maybe you're not being paid super, so that needs to come out of it. You're not being paid leave entitlements, that needs to come out of it. Um, when you work that all out, are you being underpaid according to the award rate? Because the award rate is the, is like our base salary; it's the bottom line. So that's the allied health. That's the allied health award rate, the Victoria, yeah. well, whichever state um, the award rate that is is appropriate for you. Yeah. Um, but that's ultimately like saying that's the minimum wage that you should be being paid. Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing Saturdays, public holidays, Sundays, time and a half? Should it be double time on a Sunday? Are you doing these after hours and um, any after hours work? Because again, that you need to add that all up and then figure out really when you look at the hours that you're working, what are you actually coming? What What are you actually being paid?
0: I find it really uh, sad listening to you that the onus is on us as early career psychs to kind of work out all this stuff. Like, how do you feel when you kind of hear yourself say that? Yeah, it's not, it's not fair.
1: It's not fair. It should, it should be on the employer for sure. But this makes me think about DBT skills with clients. You know, sometimes we say, well, look, you didn't cause these problems for sure. I hate it. Yeah. You've got to figure (laughs) this out anyway. Absolutely. You know, what do you want to do? Um, so yeah, it's, it's maybe not fair, but if you want to get this figured out, maybe you do have to put in this, this work, do a bit of homework
0: around it. No, it's totally true. It's not, it's not a fault that It's our responsibility to make sure that we are paid fairly and to actually understand that as well, because it can be protective in the future, like you say, that you would actually know what to look out for now. Absolutely, and and the meaning
1: that I take from that is yes, I do know what to look out for in contracts now, and I think it's made it's made sure. I certainly would only ever employ people now. I wouldn't even try and contract them. I think it's just too difficult to do. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm doing it properly, um, which gives me a little bit of security. I think knowing that I'm I'm doing the best I can to get this right.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, what makes you say that you wouldn't even contract people now? You'd only have employees
1: well if you look at those those requirements that the that fair work would look at they would say what's the degree of control you have over your work what are the hours that you work you know do you do pretty much set standard hours um who holds that risk um you know if a client doesn't turn up who who pays for that if your insurance is blah 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 who pays for that what tools and equipment do you use? Who pays a tax? Who gets paid? Or how does that happen? How regularly does that happen? If you look at the way that we do our work as psychologists, we can't really subcontract to somebody else. I can't say, oh, Bronwyn, I'm sick today. Can you come in and see my clients? No, we can't. Yeah, It doesn't work. You don't no. do that. <laughs> no, You don't, um, you know, you work set hours. You get paid regularly. So, I don't think even if you give somebody a contract that says all of that stuff and you say, say, look, this is a contractor's contract, you're a contractor, you're a contractor, you're a contractor, they're not. I don't think however you try and word that, I don't think you could do that very easily without getting yourself into hot water.
0: Yeah, I think so too. You know, like even when a contractor goes in and it's like they need, the employer is like, well, you need to follow the practice policies. Like is that makes me, I'm like, is that like a contracting or is that an employee relationship? Because when I think of like, you know, a a tradie coming to like fix my plumbing or or something, I'm not saying you need to follow like the policies that I've set out here in my household and do this, do that. It's like you come and do your job sort of thing.
1: Totally. That's a really easy, nice way of looking at it. Yeah, okay. Um, Yeah. Do do you have to abide by somebody else's policies and procedures? Because ultimately, again, that's about who's holding the risk here. Yeah. And that's the employer holding a risk for an employee. That's Not not a contractor contractor just comes in, does a job, leaves again.
0: I'm curious to know, like we said before with the kind of bottom line, it's like, we need to be aware of this stuff because it'll be us who will be affected. It will be our clients who will be affected. And so the bottom line seems to be like that we could potentially open ourselves up to being underpaid and not having our entitlements paid to us. Is that right? I I think that's
1: absolutely what the bottom line is. Yeah. That we we're being shortchanged ultimately. Um, I think, I think there's been a recent change in legislation as well. And again, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a HR person, but it used to be that you would need to be paid superannuation if you were if you earned more than, I think it was $450 a month from a single source. Now they're actually saying that you have to have super contributions made if you are paid for your labour, for your services really, period. So somebody working, even if they have their own ABN, they need to be paid super. They need to be paid super. If they've got any kind of contract with you, if they're doing any kind of work, if you're paying them for their labor or for their skills, then you need to be paying them superannuation. So that's shifted as well.
0: That's It's good to hear. And it's really important because we know that uh, women tend to have lower super than males. So we're a predominantly female workforce. So we need to make sure that we're actually getting paid our super. We really do. It really irks me that we're not. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Catherine with sham contracting what would you like to see happen with practices you know small or big around australia ideally i'd like it if the employers
1: really did some homework here and really stopped to think about whether they were doing this properly or not uh, and really had a took a, a bit of a good hard look at themselves I think it's also tricky because quite often organizations will go and seek legal advice and the lawyers will give them contracts. So the place that I was talking about earlier, thousands of dollars, probably tens of thousands of dollars on lawyers. And that was what they hid behind. Well, our lawyers have given us these contracts. They must be correct. they weren't. And so even, you know, even organizations, if you're a small, you're a small group practice or something, and you've gone and got legal advice, then you think you're doing everything you can and you think that's accurate. So I don't think that you can necessarily hide behind the contracts. I think you need to go and look at these specific items and really think about if I'm contracting allied health clinicians, can I realistically say that they're contractors?
0: Because I don't know that you can
1: ever really say that they
0: are. For early career psychs, contracting might be their first job after they have graduated. So they're trying to be a good clinician and learn everything that comes along with that. And then they're also trying to know their workplace rights how can early career psychs actually help themselves to avoid some of the pitfalls like just to know that they're in a sham contract or not gosh it makes me feel so sad as well because like you say this
1: is such a big responsibility for for clinicians to to get their heads around especially as a new grad or an early career Clinician, it's it's a lot to hold, isn't it? It's a lot of information. I I know we talked about this last time, but I think knowledge is power. Again, here I think do do your homework. Um, look at the Fair Work information; it's really clear. You've got some check boxes and and some and some guidelines. The ATO is the same, um, and we can pop them all up. I'm sure you can pop them up yeah, on the yeah, podcast. We'll, There's some yeah. really great resources that are really clear about. Yes, we look at the totality of your contract, but if you check these, I don't know, six, six items, well, it's pretty, it's pretty certain that you're an employee. Employee. So do a bit of homework before you even sign a contract, ideally, if you can, have a think about it, compare it to the fair work um, guidelines. If you can, talk to your, your potential employer about where you think that you'd like some you can make changes to your contract you can show Work. it to your own lawyer yeah take, okay cool I wouldn't sign a contract until my lawyer had seen it I would take it to your own lawyer look through it and you can make changes to it you can go back to them and say hey I'm not happy with this
0: pit. can you change it wow I had no idea you could do that is really <laughs> shocking to me <laughs> that's a revelation yeah it is yeah that's amazing and remember you've got you've got power in this
1: dynamic too that they they're going to want to employ you right especially right now when there's a shortage of of mental health clinicians they're going to want you in that in that job so take your time know that you've got some power there as well to negotiate your contract um compare it to the fair work stuff um and, and maybe talk to some some other maybe more experienced clinicians in the field talk to practice owners perhaps or talk to people who you know are doing this in a way that you think is fair. Come talk to me if you want. I'm more than happy to to help. Like I say, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a HR specialist, but I can I can help you to to look out for certain things
0: in your contracting.
1: That's really awesome.
0: And I really appreciate that as well, that we do have power because As an early career psych, when I was in my first job, sometimes the impression I got when I was going for interviews, literally the interviewer would be like, oh, this is a hotly contested job. We've had loads of applicants and you can kind of feel like, oh gosh, I just need Mm. to give into everything and I don't have any power here. And actually then you later discover that it was false and that you were the only applicant. Um, So it's kind of like, like I've got a lease that I took out and you kind of do feel pressured. Like you can feel time pressured and be like, oh, "Oh," you know, somebody else is going to get it sort of thing. But I always needed to keep in mind, like, I can walk away at any time. Like if things don't actually work out for me, I can go take this to my lawyer. Like you're saying, I can actually walk away any time. And there are other practices. So maybe listeners, remember you're not locked in. You You can walk away. Yeah. And
1: that's a real sales move, isn't it? It's it totally it's is, dark. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. You, you know,
0: know yeah. applying all the pressure,
1: come on, come on, make a decision, hurry up. Um, and again, just, just think about do you, do you want to end up working for an organization that's not going to give you a bit of time to think through this decision and be open to questions and, and negotiations from you. The hope is that you can ring them and say, can you explain this to me? Or can we, can we negotiate on something? Because otherwise, meh, I, I don't know. I don't know if you really want to be working in a place like that.
0: Yeah. And I was in that place as well, where I was like, I think, I mean, just to be open and transparent to listeners, I think in my first role as a cycle, I was earning like 28 bucks an hour and they were charging like 260 a session. Um, and I was like, oh, I hope I can earn more. And I actually brought it up to them and nope, nope, they were not willing to negotiate on that at all. And then I did seek legal advice. There was some unfair stuff in our contract um, and I actually did seek legal advice through a free community legal service I had to call like on an off hour day like 10 times sort of thing to get through but it was totally worth it and they were really really helpful um, so advice and legal support is out there and I will definitely link to some of that in the show notes
1: yeah and you can do that anonymously as well if you want um, you can do a, a sort of tip off um a phone call or a, fa- a sheet um a kind of a Worksheet thing on the Fair Work website. If you are either scared or you don't want to rock the boat in the workplace, you can do that anonymously as well. They'll come and check it out. That um, they are going to start looking at organisations as a whole anyway. They're going to start coming through and and um, just auditing workplaces and checking that they're up to scratch. So this this might happen for you if you don't feel up to um, whistleblowing for yourself right now, but um, I don't know how long that might take.
0: Yeah, no, and I think that's really important. The people who I have met who have been in exploitative workplaces, like myself included, it took me about like 9 to 12 months to actually write a, a seek review to kind of like be like I wouldn't recommend this workplace and I think it got rejected from seek because it was too angry but mm-hmm. you know it took it took 12 months just to do that because when we get out of these situations we're burnt out we are feeling so disempowered we feel terrible and we just want it to go away and so being able to like do it anonymously I think would have been hugely helpful for me because I did not know that yeah and and you know
1: I, I still have I, I I don't want to really bandy around the the word trauma but I still have a lot of certainly anxiety when certain place names that people are mentioned oh, me because too. of yeah. previous <laughs> workplaces <laughs> yeah, and, totally. and how dodgy it was and how horrible and um yeah it I, I didn't want to touch it. And I know speaking to some of my other colleagues that had left, they all said, no, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to poke the bear again. We,
0: we're out. We, we're we done. Because it was just so horrible being in the workplace. Absolutely. Um, but I guess like the positive is that if we do actually speak up just as much as we can, we could potentially make it a bit better for people who come after. So I know certainly sometimes when I see my previous employer come up, because they do, because they hire early career psychs, because they love them, because they're cheap. And I see people do that and I've kind of attempted to be like, look, if you want the real life version of what it would be like if you work here, come message me.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's sad though, isn't it? But it is sad. So, yeah, that's the hope that we can make this better for other people coming, coming after us really.
0: Yeah. And so like, I guess with an ethically led workplace where you are an employee, what would early careers like notice that would be different? Well, I think they would
1: they would be an employee for a start. They they would be um, they would be paid there um, certainly at the award rate, if not above the award rate. So that's something that for for example, we we make sure that we cover the award rate, but then plus extra, so that that is called an inc- all inclusive contract. So that that means that if you do work after hours or you do want to work on a Saturday, it's covered. Mm -hmm. and you don't have to faff about working out, well, how many hours did I work on a Saturday and how much extra time do I need to get paid, blah, blah, blah. It's all covered. So it means that you can be flexible with your hours. You can do what you want. So I I would want a contract that was all inclusive. I would want a contract that had all my annual leave entitlements, my sick leave entitlements, um, mat leave entitlements, whatever it might be, carer's leave, superannuation was paid at the at the stipulated amount, um, that they had some kind of work cover understanding about, you know, that that they needed to have work cover arrangements in place. Um, What else would I want to have? I think the rest of it probably is about being able to have those discussions with my potential employer about some of the contract. If there were anything, any questions that I had, just that they were open and flexible,
0: that would be a good sign. Yeah, that's probably the, the main things that would all be really good. And- I guess the benefits, like, I think emotionally when I hear that, I'm like, oh, good, I can breathe easy. You know, I can go into work and do my job and I don't have to worry about any of this other stuff because I know that it's all covered. Rather than the stress of being a contractor and being like, hey, am I actually getting paid fairly? I'm doing like 20 hours overtime here. I'm not getting paid for any of it, just trying to meet these, like, requirements here. And I'm not getting paid any super. That would just be massively stressful for me and lead to burnout almost certainly. It does leak into your client relationships too. Yeah. If you've got clients who are cancelling or
1: not showing up, then it's pretty hard to not start getting resentful because you're, you're sitting there, you're not getting paid and, and you, your class as a contractor is so tough. Yeah. They're not going to pay you if you're, you're sitting in that room and nobody shows up. I think you can start getting a bit annoyed with your clients if yeah that kind of thing's happening and you're getting stressed and you're not earning enough money, you're sitting around not doing anything. Mm. It's, it's pretty stressful. Can't take a day off sick, even though you might have COVID or you might have a cold or something.
0: Yeah, that's huge, which we really need, like because life is unpredictable and life doesn't stop because you're a clinician. We're still humans. So we really need to have that time off if we need it. And you want to feel
1: free to have the integrity or to stand in your integrity, don't you? I've got a cough or a sore throat. I shouldn't go into work today. Oh, but I'm not going to get paid. So uh, maybe I'll just pretend
0: I'm okay and go in. Well, that's yuck. Yeah, that is yuck. Yeah, absolutely. Catherine, I think we've had a good discussion so far about this, but I do want to check with you. Is there anything else that we haven't covered today that you think is really important for listeners to know? Do you think that
1: your listeners would be clear on what makes a contractor versus what makes
0: an employee or the types of things to look out for? No, I wouldn't know. Um, I still don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. It would be really helpful to hear that or to know that, like I've seen some tables that people have put on the Facebook, but it seems very, I know general, like and non-specific, but you know, if you've got anything, Yeah. Okay, so we could do a very quick run through of, okay. and again,
1: Fair Work or a lawyer would look at the totality of your contract. So not, not, not one single item on here would say you're an employee. But if you think about your role as we go through these and you tick off a few, that's a pretty good sign that actually you're classed as a, an employee by Fair Work and the ATO. So it's things like um, what amount of control do you have over the work that's performed? Can you decide what work you carry out when you do it? Um, or is that governed pretty much by your employer? What are the hours that you work? Do you work pretty standard set hours? You know that you have to go in, you know, Monday to Monday to Wednesday, my hours nine till five or not. If, if you've got set hours, again, more likely that you're you're an employee. What's the expectation of work? Um, again, it's it's an expectation perhaps that you turn up and that you've got an ongoing. You know, an ongoing kind of relationship. You're you're there every week. Again, more likely that you're an employee. You can't just not turn up or go and do another job in between or various other things. Um, another big one is risk. So who who bears the risk? Um, and that's often the financial risk um, or the responsibility. So, for example, if the clients don't turn up, whose responsibility is that? Again, if you're an, if you're um, an employee then it's probably the business that holds that risk. If you're a contractor, it's more likely that it's your risk. You know, if the client doesn't turn up, you don't get paid. But, you know, again, it's complicated because as a contractor, even if you're sitting in an office and your client doesn't turn up, well, if you don't if you don't get paid, probably you're not paying the business. They might be getting a percentage of that or, or some there might be some variation of that. So actually, they're not getting paid either. So again, it gets a little bit murky about whose responsibility that is or whose risk that is.
0: It makes it makes sense. So I guess like the takeaways I'm hearing, I feel like this comes back to the knowledge is power. It's like knowledge is power, listeners. Like if you got this gut feeling that something is not right, check it out, educate yourself and get further advice. That's kind of what I'm hearing.
1: Absolutely. Always, always the way. And like, like we've already said, there's some really great resources out there, which will give people some really clear guidelines. And if you read through the guidelines and you start to think, hmm, this sounds a bit like I'm probably an employee speak to fair work, speak to a lawyer, um, speak to a HR representative if you, if you know one um, and get some advice from them and they'll be able to really point you in the right direction.
0: Yeah and I mean just kind of tapping into my own early career feels it's like don't suck it up people, don't be afraid to be like okay something's not right and just be like oh no i just carry on because the resentment will be or you will feel burnt out, you will feel you are hating life and that's the kind of advice that I wish I'd given and taken myself when I was like in those early career stages.
1: Yeah, for sure, and it's just not
0: fair. No, it's not. It's not fair, <laughs> and it's, it's not like, okay. We tend to love justice as well, and like you know, we we need to be fair to ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And if these
1: people are doing it willingly, knowingly, well, that's really very. I can't use a swear word, can I? But that's really <laughs> <You> bad.
0: <can>. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> okay, I think I think that's a good place to end. That's really bad. Yeah, we'll end on that. Thank you, Catherine, for coming on and talking to us again about, but more specifically, more pointedly about this topic of sham contracting. It is something that we just hear about all the time. And I feel like, again, it's just something that's not really talked about. So I'm really glad that we could give a voice to today and hopefully spark some discussion about it's really unacceptable to actually not pay early career psychs adequately or anybody for that matter.
1: Yeah. Anybody, anybody really in this, in
0: this um, realm. Yeah. It's not okay. Again, I will post those resources in the show notes and I will also post a link just to Catherine's practice so that I think there was an offer, if I'm mistaken, we can cut this out, but there was an (laughs) offer that if people wanted to contact you just to check out this stuff that they could. I think I might regret that. But
1: yes, uh, no, I I think it's really important to have a discussion about it. So I'm happy. I'm happy to um, talk about it. Like I say, I can't give legal advice, but
0: um, I'm really happy to just get the conversation going about it. I think that's massively helpful because, you know, one of the things we've touched on is that it's important to reality test and be like, we don't know what's up. So sometimes just being like, yeah, no, I think that's a red flag, I think could be massively helpful. And for business owners too,
1: if, if, if anybody wants to speak about this um, so that they, they can start to really make adjustments, then again, I'm really happy to talk about it. I'm really happy to help people out if it's going to make um, positive changes in this, in this area.
0: Totally. Thank you so much, Catherine. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Bromwyn. No worries. And thank you, listeners, for listening. That's a wrap. And we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Mental Work, the podcast for early career mental health professionals. If you're loving the show and don't want to miss an episode, press subscribe on your podcast listening app. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous ones, leave us a rating and review on iTunes and Spotify. What topics would you enjoy hearing us talk about on the show? We'd love to hear from you. Email us your suggestions at mentalworkpodcast at gmail.com. Have a good one and see you next time.